Welcome to the LifeHouse Church Podcast. LifeHouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. We're going to dive in. So 2024, if you are new at our church, 2024 is the year of better. Everyone say better. Year of better, where we are choosing what is better. And this comes from, this, from, this, from a story in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, where we have two sisters that are in a house with Jesus, and we see the contrast here of, of what each sister is doing while Jesus is present with them. Luke chapter 10, it says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening. Everyone say listening listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted. Everyone say distracted. She was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care? Playing a little victim role. Don't you care? Don't you care that my sister left me to do this work all by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. Jesus answered. You are worried. Everyone say worried. Everyone say upset. Worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Actually, only one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. So we have used this scripture to frame 2024 for us because to me, this story doesn't just represent two sisters. It represents two kinds of way of being in relationship with Jesus. Martha's way was she was distracted worried and upset that defines the culture what the culture is trying to get you to live a life that you are worried distracted and upset although you have access to Jesus that is right there right or there's the way of Mary which Mary was listening attentive at the feet and in the presence of Jesus and what we believe the way that God is inviting us individually and corporately into is 2024. The better way is being with Jesus, is being with him. And what we've tried to kind of get in these past couple weeks, what we're going to try to, to cement over the next year is the fact that you being with Jesus doesn't just have to be when you are at church. It doesn't just have to be when you are at home praying, when things are 70 degrees and sunny. You have the perfect devotional. You've got the perfect worship music. You've got your favorite smelling candle on. It's, it's the perfect temperature in the house, right? Like, like that you can actually be with Jesus when you are in the midst of your insane job, your insane schedule, your insane life. You can have a deep awareness that Jesus is present with you and that you can be learning from, listening to, and attentive to him. Because what Jesus said before he, before he left, he said, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And we believe that that is actually a reality that we can live in. That we don't have to live alone, afraid, and scared, distracted, worried, and upset. But we can actually have a life that we are at the feet of, listening and attentive to Jesus. And knowing he is with us and walking with us no matter what the ups and downs, hills and valleys, peaks and valleys look like. 
Now, I, I, I kind of want to describe this to you because I kind of feel reading this story is different than maybe if we kind of acted it out a little bit. Because here's what I think, what I have struggled with and what I feel like some of you have struggled with is kind of like, okay, John, this is a great thought to have the whole merry way of life and sitting at the feet of Jesus and, and stuff like that. But how in the world do I stay at the, fit of, at the feet of Jesus and attentive and listening when I've got so many things that are keeping me busy? So, okay, so I, I need a Jesus figure. I need someone that's, that's gonna be Jesus for me. So you don't have to be perfect. So this is, you're just gonna be acting. This is something you're just gonna, so if you wanna be Jesus, just go ahead and come on. Come on up. And, you, you know, I'm not going to ask you to say anything. You're just going to have to act like you're teaching. We got a volunteer? My man. Oh, we got Jiggy Man. Man, we, man, we got Jiggy Man. Okay, sorry. I know him as Jiggy Man. Jiggy, right? right Jiggy, Jiggy Man, right? Jiggy, Jiggy Man. If you're on Spotify, you need to check out this guy's music. J-I-G-G-Y-M-I-N, Jiggy Man. is a great, uh, great hip-hop artist. My kid likes his music. I like his music. So you can on Spotify right now and look them up. But anyway, all right. So, hey, bro, you going to be Jesus? Come on. So I need you to be over here act, acting like you're teaching, okay? So I need you to, you know. Or if you want to rap, you be rapping Jesus, okay? All right. And then I need someone that, that you like to be busy. Like you're just a busy body. You have trouble just chilling. Any, any people here, you can act being busy. Come on up and invite you. I can't see anything, so when y'all clap, I'm going to assume someone's walking up. Okay, all right, all right cool. We got, what's your name? Kiara. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Okay, so what I need you to do is I need you to make stuff up on this stage. You can be over here act, act, acting like you're doing spread, spreadsheets for Jesus, or, you know, you're just doing spreadsheets, or, you know, just, you know, just pretending you're cleaning the the mic's off or, you know, just, just I, I just need you to act busy, okay? It's going to be awkward. So just act, act like you're cleaning up trash or something. Like just, just walk around and just act like you're just acting, acting busy. All right, I, I need someone that you want to be married. You want to be at the feet of Jesus. You want to be listening and attentive. If that's you, go ahead and come on up. Excuse me, I need to move up this behind you. Okay. All right, so you're going to be, someone come, someone come up here? Okay. Who that? Okay. All right, we got Donna. Okay. All right, Donna, you can just go have a, have a seat there, and you're going to be Mary. Oh, Jesus. I didn't know we, we had to have people sign waiver forms. Sign, sign waivers. They hurt themselves. We're not held liable. No, just kidding. Okay. So, 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 Donna, you're just going to be sitting here, so, Jiggy, man, I need you to be like, just, just act like you're teaching, like, kind of like you're sharing God's word. Donna, I want you to be listening in like you marry, okay? And then I just need you to start being busy, okay? So, just, just, just go ahead and, yep, just start being busy. So, I want to create the scene for you, right? So, you got Jesus in the room. <laughs> right? You got Martha. You are so much better than the first service. I got to say, you're doing amazing. I like you. We're going to start a drama ministry here at Life Lifehouse, okay? 
Then we got Mary here chilling, listening, both in the same place with Jesus. And what Jesus says is Donna has chosen, Mary's chosen what is better. Now, the question might be raised, John, I love the fact that Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. She, she killing the role. I don't care what no one said. She killing it. Right? Like, John, this is great that I can make the decision to be at the feet of Jesus. But, John, though I have this desire to be, to the, be at the feet of Jesus, the reality is my life is filled with a lot of Martha stuff. So how do I develop a Martha posture in my heart while also knowing a lot of my life is going to be filled with Martha responsibilities? You know what I'm saying? Because some of y'all are like, hey, John, I love this whole be at the feet of Jesus thing, but I got what's called kids. I've got what's called a J-O-B. She need to audition at some, at some community theater or something. She's doing a good job. She, 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 took, she took that to heart. So this is what I feel like over the next few weeks we're going to be dive, diving into. How can the merry way of Jesus be a posture of your heart in the midst of your Martha life? Because what I'm not saying is to be merry, you have to be a nun or you have to go and be a monk. Because so many people feel so bad that they're like, I, I want to spend time with Jesus, but I, I, you know, it's like I got kids and I got a job and I'm tired. Da, 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 da. And it's like so many people feel guilty that they don't do more of this. And I'm not saying just do more of this. What I'm saying is this can be the posture of your heart where you just don't compartmentalize Jesus. Say, well, I only learn from you when I'm in the quiet, quiet place. You'll actually say, my life is your school for teaching me and training me to where you realize this is not just a service. This could be your life where you have an awareness that Jesus is with you, an awareness that he can speak to you wherever you are. So in the midst of the Martha life we're all going to have, you can have the merry posture of your heart. That's what we're going to talk about. Can we, can we give them a hand? Man, awesome. Good job, Jiggy, man. Thank you, Donna. So I, I want to share with you today a specific message called purpose, pain, or pleasure. Purpose, pain, or pleasure. Purpose, pain, or pleasure. Because your ultimate purpose is to be with Jesus. And this one's easy. Like, what you see from the very beginning of Scripture is God's heart is to be with his people. That your purpose isn't just to do good things for God. Your purpose is to be with God. You were created to be with. God wants to be with his people. You can, you can even see Adam, Eve. He was with them in the garden in the cool of the day. He was with his people. When that, when, when that was messed up, you've got, you know, God gave Moses instructions on creating the tabernacle so God could dwell with his people. After the tabernacle, he gave them for how to build the temple to, so he could have a place to meet with his people, to be with his people. After the temple, he sent his son Jesus to make a way to essentially tear the veil that was separating God from man. Why? God wanted to be with his people. God wants to be with you. 
Just take that because, you know, I think so many people go throughout life wanting to be wanted. I told my wife the other day, I was, I was just like, some, sometimes I just, I just want to be wanted. Right? And just think the God of heaven and earth that made the world, that calls each star by name, that, that, that billions of galaxies, he can speak into existence as the God that wants to be with you. I hope you feel wanted by God. He wants to be with you. He wants to be with his people. And this is your purpose. Your purpose is to ultimately be with him. But life is hard in being with him. And, and, and really what I, what I feel like before I dive into the whole pain or pleasure piece, I, I need to let you know something, that the, the devil is a schemer. The devil's a schemer. <clears throat> and, you know, Scripture tells us that we need to be aware of the devil's schemes. It, it, it actually says don't be ignorant of the devil's schemes. Meaning, and that word scheme simply means plan, like, Devil's got a plan. And here's the thing. I think when it comes to the devil, Satan, whatever you want to call him, Christians can fall into two different camps. You got those that see the devil as a cartoon, char- as a cartoon character. So he's not really real. He's kind of real. When really we need to know Satan is real. He, 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 you know, Scripture speaks about him. says he's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Jesus said that someone comes to steal and kill and destroy you. He's got a plan. So, like, we... We, we need to be aware of him, but at the same time, we need to also be aware and not give him too much power. Because Jesus has already defeated him. When he died and defeated death, resurrected and defeated death, it says he took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And so Christians live in this unique place where we acknowledge the devil's ability, his reality, but we also know his limits. And that as a follower of Jesus, the power we have and strength we have, we have the authority over the devil. That though he might win some battles, he doesn't win the war. And so we live in this reality. Our responsibility is to be aware of the devil's schemes. And one of the things the devil, see, here's the thing. If you don't have a plan for following Jesus, the devil has a plan for you following him. That's why discipleship to Jesus cannot be neutral. It's not if you are following somebody or something, it's who or what are you following. You, like if you are not intentionally heading in the way, direction, and path of Jesus, then you are unconsciously or consciously heading away. It's hard to be neutral. That's, that's why if you don't have a plan for following Jesus, and by plan, I simply mean this, like you are connected to community. You are, you are connected to, to a pathway of growing in knowledge, a rhythm of life that puts Jesus first. Then, then in some ways, if you don't have a plan, the devil got one. And here's the thing. He's crafty. The devil is crafty. And he influences us through temptation. Influences us through temptation. Scripture says clearly God doesn't test us. Excuse me. God doesn't tempt us. God, oh, I'm tired, okay. Been fasting. Jesus, help me. Like, God doesn't tempt us, but he will test us. But the devil has no desire to grow us, so he'll tempt us. God's desire is to grow you, so he'll test you. We don't grow unless we're tested, right? 
But the devil, what, what the devil uses, he uses temptation to influence us. We can see this from the very early where, when the devil makes his first arrival in Genesis chapter three. He tempts Eve. And he tempts Eve through three specific ways. And I think we need to know, because here's, here's the, if the devil has a scheme, he lays out what the scheme is. And we need to be aware of what his scheme is. And he's been doing the same thing to people for thousands of years. These are the three things he does. Number, number one, he questions God's word. You can see when Adam and Eve, they were in the garden, Satan, Satan comes, and he basically says, says this, did God really say that? Did God really say, right? And that is what the devil always does. Or he always wants to question if what you heard from God is real and true. And this is why it's so important that you have a knowledge of God's word. Because when Jesus was being tempted, he did not quote Joe Rogan. He did not quote Oprah. He didn't quote Barack Obama. He didn't quote Donald Trump. He did not quote the rabbi of his day. What did he quote? He quoted the Bible. Why? Because in order to fight lies, you have to have truth. And even when Eve responded back when Satan was like, did God really say? She's like, yeah, well, he kind of did say this and this and this. And then when that doesn't work, when questioning God's word doesn't work, the devil will flat out lie. I mean, he's like, you know, I mean, God did say if we eat from the truth, like the, we would kind of like die. And he was like, you won't die. Come on, man. God ain't like that. God, God ain't going to let you die. But then when, when, after he flat out lies, then he just goes into like, he wants to assassinate the character of God. So he says, for God knows that when you eat from, from this tree, it's like, yeah, I know God said you shouldn't eat from this tree, but God knows if you eat from this tree, you'll know good and good and evil and you'll actually be like God when you eat from this tree so God doesn't want you to have that tree because if you had that tree then, then you'd be able to be like him and God don't want you to be like him so he, he's trying to hold something back from you and that is what Satan will do he will assassinate the character of God to make it seem like he is a taker rather than a giver he is that, that he's someone that's trying to keep you from something instead of intentionally having boundaries in place to keep you from a place you don't want to go. And y'all, you need to be aware of this because here is what I want to get at today. Your purpose is to be with Jesus. The devil will use temptations to get you from here at the feet of Jesus to get you up and walking away. Why? Because his ultimate goal from the very beginning is to separate you from God. What, did, what happened in the garden? He came, he influenced, Adam and Eve sinned. What happened? Separation. Jesus, when he was trying to, or the devil, when he was trying to tempt Jesus, he was, he, the devil's mission statement, his goal is to get you away from God. But your purpose, your call, your inheritance as a follower of Jesus is to be with him. And I wanna talk about two temptations today specifically that Satan will use to try to get you up from being at the feet of Jesus to getting out and being away from him. Can I talk about two temptations today? The first temptation I wanna to talk to you about today is unprocessed, or we're gonna talk about two, unprocessed purposeless pain, and secondly, untamed pleasure. Purpose, pain, or pleasure. Let's talk about pain, pain and suffering. 
<clears throat> I don't know if there is a something in life that is more revealing about what we think about God than when we experience pain and suffering. Have you ever been in a relationship, let's just say marriage, <laughs> where you had an expectation going into the relationship and when you got into the relationship, you realized your expectations were all jacked up. And the expectations actually led to you being disappointed and to you thinking about, do I even wanna be in this relationship? If you've been married for 15 minutes, This is what you find. I went in very naive to marriage. I'm like, we got Jesus. What else do we need? Yeah, you need Jesus for show. <laughs> but you gotta have conversations about like, what do you expect? What do you believe about this? What do you expect about that? And that's why I just wanna say, if you are, mar if, if, if you are going to get married or, or whatever, can I encourage you, this is not in the notes, this is me just kind of sharing. Get marital coaching counseling before you get married. Yeah. Statistics show every statistic saying that you will have long-lasting love increases when you invest time before you get to the day of getting married. Have conversations about money. Have conversations about your future. Have conversations about sex. Have conversations about time, have conversations about con conflict. Make sure you both have the expectations going into the relationship. Because without, see here's what I'm saying, ex without expectations, can, it can be a breeding ground for disaster. And unfortunately, the reason I mention that is when many people come into a relationship with God, they have the expectation that being in a relationship with him excludes them from experiencing pain and suffering. So when they experience pain and suffering, they start to question the relationship. And they start to question, if God loves me, why would I experience this? And, we, the, and, and I, that's why I think it's important that, and I think pastors have not done a good job of this as well. Like we're even some of the reason why some people have bad expectations of following Jesus because we, our desire in many pastors and preachers' hearts is for everybody to follow Jesus and we want to make it as receivable and acceptable, understandable and palatable. So we will sometimes say things to, um, to make following Jesus attractional. And sometimes whenever we do that, we present Jesus as this way to get away from pain, which can be absolutely true. But at the same time, when you start to follow Jesus, what you might actually be doing is inviting even more pain. Because our context for what it looks like to follow the will of the Father is Jesus himself. And Jesus did not live a life absent of pain. He lived a life full of it. And Jesus is the example for us to say what it means to follow the will of God. And so we have to make sure that our expectations when we come into relationship with God are right. Or if we're in relationship with God, we might need to shift those expectations to realize following Jesus does not exclude me from pain. And I think even the way we deal with pain and suffering in the church can mess people up. Because, I mean, let's just look at the ways, some of the ways we deal with pain. Some people just dismiss it. Just act like it didn't happen. And just, you know what I'm saying? And this can be a way to numb the pain. 
This can be a way to, and especially people that don't want to get inside to how they really feel, this is what they go to. I just don't want to feel it. I don't even want to dive, dive into it. I don't, I don't even want to whatever. I'm just going to move on. Just want to let you know what you don't process is still there. And many times unprocessed pain becomes pain you then hand down to others. This is why, parents, it is so important that as you are raising your children, you are also saying, what hurts and pains and wounds do I need to heal so I don't hand them down to my children? Because what isn't healed is handed. Y'all hearing me? This has been a hard realization personally as I've dove in and looked at my development from my parents and this, that, and the other thing. I realize that there are many things that if I don't let the Lord in to heal the pain, I will then pass it down and I will project it onto those that are coming behind me. That is why it's so important that we don't dismiss pain and suffering. And when I say pain and suffering, I know it's different for everybody. But if, if, if we just dismiss it and act like it's not there, what isn't healed will be handed. Pain you don't process is still there. Secondly, this is what the church does well. We spiritualize it. Well, God had a plan, brother. God had a plan. Maybe you're the next Job, bro. Maybe you're the next Job. And I just want to say, you're an idiot, bro. You know, it's like, don't talk to me. You know, it's, it's like, that. y'all can, can I just give y'all some advice of how, as a church, we can better love people in their pain and, and suffering? Be quiet. Do more sitting with than talking to. Be present. Just be present. Don't feel like you have to offer an explanation for God. Don't feel like you have to explain the unexplainable. Sometimes the most powerful thing you can give is your presence. And maybe some food. Because we try to spiritualize things and say, well, maybe God had a purpose. And y'all, that stuff can be important, but many times that might happen further down the road. When pain and suffering is going on, sometimes the most important thing we can be is a listening ear, a presence. Let's stop trying to spiritualize things and saying stuff that is not in the Bible. This too shall pass is not in the Bible. Stop saying it. The concept might be, but the words aren't, right? We spiritualize. The third, though, we, we might be with pain and suffering, we might be consumed by it. And this is what happens. This is something that happens when we don't process it. If we don't process it, it will become our identity. So now we don't, like we, we don't see ourselves apart from our pain and suffering. Now it's been such a part of us for so long, it just blurs together as one. And now even when you think about yourself, you can't think about yourself apart from your pain and suffering. And this is so easy to do, man, because life is hard. Life is full of pain and suffering. And so we can dismiss it. We can spiritualize it. We can have a tendency to be consumed by it. But what I believe that the Lord invites us to that, that, that helps us giving in to the temptation of dismissing, spiritualizing, or becoming it, what the Lord invites us to do in order to help us stay at the feet of Jesus in the midst of this crazy life is he can take pain and he can redeem it. He can redeem it. And what does redeem mean? It, it simply means buy back for its original purpose. 
And when I think of pain and suffering, one of the benefits, see, Jesus doesn't say we're not going to have pain. Actually, what Jesus said to his disciples before he left, he said, in this world, you're going to have a lot of troubles. In this world, you will have troubles. Like, you don't see that on bumper stickers and memory verses at heaven and earth bookstores. But what the Lord invites us to do as his followers is to take our pain, feel it, process it, and then we put it in his hands. And what that does is it keeps us from identifying ourselves by it and putting it in the hands of the one that can really make something of it. Because when you have pain and suffering, you will ask the questions, why? Why? Because you're a human being. The book of Psalms, we see God, Psalm writers like say, God, why this and why that? Saying why is a normal part. But there will be a point in your process and journey of healing where the question will have to shift from why did this happen to God? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to show me? And what are you trying to do in my life? And that was what starts the process of redeeming your pain. Romans 8, 28, this is the verse we pretty much sang earlier in the song. It says, and we know that in all things, everyone say all things. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I love that this verse does not say that all things are good. Because there are many things that are not good. There are many things that have happened to you that are not good. There are many things that happen to those you love that are not good. And God does not call those things good. He grieves with you. He weeps with you over your pain and suffering. But what this does say is that God is so good that he can take what isn't good and make it work for your good and for his glory if you'll take it out of your hands and put it into his hands. And y'all, in the midst of a pain-filled world, and the, like really what I felt the Holy Spirit saying today is that some of you are not in pain and suffering, but what I feel the Holy Spirit saying is you will be in some pain and suffering. And I know that isn't like the prophetic word everyone wants to hear. But sometimes God will give you a word before you walk through something to prepare you to walk through. There are some of you, you are in pain and suffering right now. This word's gonna hit you right there, but there are some of you, you are not in a season of pain and suffering, but you are one text message away from being there. And that is, that is why we need to be prepared to think about how do you think about your pain and suffering, and when you have it, what are you going to do with it? Throw it away, spiritualize it, become it, or you can put it in his hands and let him redeem it. This is what, why? Because if you don't know what to do with your pain, the moment you experience pain, you will go from the feet of Jesus to be like, I'm out. So I'm telling you today, and the devil, when you have pain, he will use the pain to get in to question God's word. If God was so good, why would he allow that? God doesn't love you. See, See he'll question God's word. And then he'll say, God doesn't love you. He'll lie. And then he'll say, you know what, if God really loved you, he wouldn't have allowed it. And this is the kind of stuff that he tries to use to get into your head, to try to take you away. So y'all, family, I want to encourage you. If you're in pain and suffering right now, the Lord wants you to give it to him so he can redeem it. And what redeeming it can be is it can be a way for you to then say, instead of defining myself by this, how can God use this to shape me to be more like him? And how could God help me and use me to bring healing in someone else's life? This is how you redeem the pain. I've shared this multiple times, right? But like even yesterday, so you know, 
I've shared this with our church, I stutter. And for many years, it was the most horrific thing that I dealt with emotionally. And you're like, well, John, you don't really stutter about it right now. I'm like, yeah, but you didn't know me. Let me show you a video when I was 20. It was horrific. Shame and just all of that stuff. And I've, I've just always said, like, I have a heart for those that's that stutter. It's 1% of the world that stutters. Anytime I have the opportunity to speak to someone or help someone that's kind of gone through what, what, what I've gone through, it's a way to help me redeem the pain that I had. And even yesterday, I was doing a funeral, and we celebrated the life of our sister, Michelle Webb. And she passed away a couple, uh, a couple weeks ago. And, you know, I kind of shared how one of the connections Michelle and I had is that we both stutter. So I, I told the story about how when if 1% of the world, like if when 1% meets 1%, we immediately become peeps. Stuttering people, we become family like that. Are you stutter? I stutter. We family now, right? And it was crazy because after I shared that yesterday, somebody that was there in attendance came up to me and said, I have, I have a stuttering son. Will you, will you say hi to him? So I had the opportunity to meet him and talk to him and just encourage him and say, hey, man, we need your voice. I know people might laugh and joke and stuff like that. It's all, hey, man, you just, you don't be afraid to, you know, and just encouraging him. And so I can somehow in some ways redeem the pain that I've had. And, y'all, this is, this is the opportunity in your pain and suffering. As you sit with it, as, as you feel it, you don't dismiss it, you don't spiritualize it, you protect yourself from becoming identified by it, you put it in the hands of the Lord, you ask your questions, you go through grieving, you have that time, it's sacred, special time, but there will come a time and point where you will have the opportunity to start redeeming it. And y'all, it's a beautiful thing when the church starts to take their pain and people start to see one of the greatest test testimonies you can have is how you love Jesus in your pain and suffering. Michelle Webb, that was one of the things about her. She was diagnosed MS, MSA, multiple systems at, atrophy, five, 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 six months ago. Her cognitive functions were going way down, but it was crazy. As she was suffering more, her faith was growing. I said, that is real faith to me. Because that's a faith that isn't built on circumstance. That's a faith that isn't built on God's blessing me. That's a faith that isn't built on, it's her relationship with God was based not on her circumstances, but on who God said he was, which is good. And, and this is what I'm saying. She lived the most important sermon anyone could ever live. How do you follow and love Jesus when you're in your pain and suffering? And y'all, that's what I'm inviting us into as we're, because pain and suffering, you'll be tempted to leave being at the feet of Jesus because you'll be like, why would you do this? But y'all, in, in your pain and suffering is when you're more, can't use the opportunity, you can be more attentive to Jesus than you ever have been. So that's what I want to encourage you to. I want to talk to you. I, I got to hurry. Um, I want to talk to you. So I want to go from pain where Jesus can redeem it to the temptation of pleasure. There's, there's a verse in 2 Timothy 3 that, Paul wrote to his pastoral protege, Timothy, multiple letters. Because one of the things that Paul was going to actually be, be passing away, he knew his time to go was coming, so he would write letters to, to different pastoral proteges, Titus and Timothy, to encourage them. And one of the things he wrote to them was about the last days and what the last days would, would look like. He said, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. Jackson, did you see that? My son's in here. So one of the qualities of, 
the last days as kids being disobedient to their parents. <laughs> Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure I'm, rather than lovers of God. Like, I'm glad that that was then and not now. It doesn't say, though, they didn't love God. They just loved pleasure more than God. And that's what I think we have to understand. This is the day and age we live in. Now, the word here that Paul used to, that the, the translators translated lovers of pleasure is the word philodonos, which is the combination of two words, philio, which is love, which is where we get the word Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, and the word hedonos, which is where we get the word hedonist. And philio means love, and hedonos means happiness, so it, it literally means like the love of happiness. The love of happiness and pleasure. And when you actually define this word hedonism in the dictionary, this is what it says. It says, it is the doctrine that pleasure or happiness is the highest good. Addiction to an obsession for pleasure as a way of life. And in commentary on this particular scripture, Rick Renner says this. Paul used the Greek word philodonos to say that society in the last days will become lovers of pleasure. Or that they will become preoccupied and obsessed with the pursuit of their own comfort, pleasure, and happiness. I am so glad times have changed. A temptation that Satan will use to get us away from the presence of being with Jesus of the better way is he will use this thing called the flesh that has a desire to seek and want happiness. Now let's just be candid. We live in the U.S. of A. Everything in our culture is curated to push you towards comfort, safety, and happiness. It's in the vision statement. Life, liberty, and the what? Pursuit of happiness. One of the most important things you can do as you are following Jesus is understand the culture you're following Jesus in. Because you will not fully conform to Jesus if you haven't fully deconformed from the culture you're in. Everyone wants to say they're not influenced. Everyone wants to say, I'm my own thing. I do what I want. Y'all, we have been raised in the crockpot of the USA, which is saying your happiness matters above all else. So as we are trying to figure out and find and follow Jesus and be his followers, his disciples, we have to figure out what mindsets have I picked up and am I living in from the culture I've been raised in. And one of those things is that we have been conditioned to put our happiness above everything. Now, being happy is not a sin, right? Because what I feel some of you might hear saying that is like if something makes you happy, it's like, oh, oh I don't want to be a lover of happy. 
You know, it's like you're driving home and you had a hard day and you see that red light on at Krispy Kreme. And you're like, oh, I don't want to be a lover of happy, you know, I'm driving home. It's like, no, nah, man, stop and get the donut, bro. It's, it's okay. It's all right. It's all right. Go ahead. Go ahead and get that donut. Right? Like, but one, one of the things that, that I think we have to make sure of is that one of, the, one of the ways you can know if you are a lover of pleasure, a lover of happiness, is how often do you default towards your most urgent desire instead of defaulting to, as a follower of Jesus, what is your deepest desire? Because your urgent desires many times are different than your deepest desires. Your urgent desires many times are quick, here, now, and benefit you. Your deepest desires many times take longer and they're not many times what pleases you immediately, but what pleases God in the long term. Right, so let's kind of play this out some. You've got the urgent desire, let's say you're at work and you want to cuss someone out because they deserve it. That's urgent. <laughs> like, you're an idiot. Let me tell you why. Beep. Right, like, that's what your flesh is like. Yeah. Anger, rage, malice, right? Like, urgent, it feels good in the moment. Like, that's an urgent desire. Okay, well, as a follower of Jesus, your deepest desire is to be self-controlled. Your deepest desire is, is to, if you have something to say, you say it with tact and you say it with kindfulness. You say it in a way they can hear, right? So, like, you've you got your urgent and then you've got the deepest, Right? Some of you got the urgent desire of like, when I want to buy something, I buy it. I didn't want to buy this. It's, it's luring me. I just came here and I don't, you know, just, you know, it's like, so like your urgent desire is to purchase, but honestly, as your deepest desire is to be able to leave a lasting legacy to your family. Right? The urgent desire is I want to go on a dating app and get a one-night hookup. Because I, why y'all, why y'all laughing? Why y'all, y'all laughing like, y'all like, oh, I'm in church. Ugh. Yeah, I can't believe anyone would do that. You just did it a month ago, okay? Don't just stop. Right? It's like you got this urgent, you're like, I got needs. Got Biology. Plain its course. So you got the urgent desire that's like, I need a fix. But then you got the deepest desire knowing, man, I, I want to have a marriage one day. And I don't want to go into this marriage carrying a bunch of soul crap from 200 people that I've slept with. Okay? Do y'all see what I'm saying? Urgent, deepest. Because as a follower of Jesus, what should ultimately change the quickest is your deepest desire. Many times the urgent desires can take a while. Why? Because you're learning to live differently. You're learning to like not engage the flesh. You're like, no, I want to please the spirit. And then you realize there's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And that battle is like, don't, don't, it, that's your whole life, y'all. Welcome to following Jesus. But what you'll find is, is that when there is a change from death to life, when you're a new creation in Christ, 
what changes is your deepest desire to honor God and please him and make him happy. But you still have desires that you're walking, you know, fleshly desires that you're kind of like, got these urgent desires. And what I'm saying is this, maturity in Christ, how you can step back and take an inventory of am I a lover of pleasure is to say, is there a closing of the gap between your most urgent desire and your deepest desire? Meaning, are you defaulting to choosing more of your deepest instead of more of your urgent? That, to me, is one of the best signs of, is your discipleship to Jesus growing? There are consequences when we choose the urgent over the deepest. Best example is this guy named Esau. Remember Esau? Where Jacob, Esau, Esau had the birthright, the blessing. He was tired. He went out hunting. He came back. He was famished. He needed a quick bowl of soup to get him to take away the hunger. Jacob was like, you know, he was like, Jacob, you know, I'll trade you my birthright for the soup and gave away his birthright, gave away his purpose for an immediate impulse pleasure. And this is what the writer of Hebrews says using that. It says, watch out for the Esau syndrome. You know what the Esau syndrome is? It's those that consistently default to the urgent and sacrifice the deepest. Watch out for the Esau syndrome, trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. You will know Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessing, but by then it was too late, tears or no tears. God can redeem, there's no doubt, any stupidity you've done, crazy stuff you've done. But there is no doubt if you give in to the urgent consistently, you are actually developing a way of life. In, in what I just feel like I, I needed to speak today is that some of you are at the point right now where you are dangerously close to the urgent desires you're wanting to give into robbing you of your lifelong legacy. Specifically speak to some men today. Listen, I know marriage is hard. I know the devil will try to whisper to you in your ear and say, man, y'all got married young. Y'all are different people now. Just, y'all just aren't compatible. Just, just give it up. She doesn't love you anyway. And so, men, what that can do is you start to dabble in the urgent. You know what I'm saying? And what the devil was trying to get you to do is to try to indulge in urgent desires now at the sacrifice of your lifelong legacy, which is ultimately your deepest desire. You're like, yeah, but I got needs. It's, it's urgent. Are you, okay, do you want to do that to sacrifice future relationship with your children? Is it worth that? Is it that urgent to you? That's what I say, men, if, if you are there, get around some brothers to talk some sense into you. Get around some brothers that will hold you back from yourself, that will hold you back from your urgent desires so they can keep you and pull you around while pushing you towards what your deepest desire is. Do y'all understand? This is the battle we're in, y'all. This is the fight we're in. But it's, 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 it's not just men. It could be like, 
This is what the devil wants to do. He will do anything to tempt us away from being at the feet present with Jesus. He'll use our pain. He'll use our proclivity towards pleasure because his ultimate goal is to get you away from Jesus in relationship with him. Here's, here's the thing. If something makes you happy but doesn't make God happy, what makes you happy needs to be crucified. This is not sexy preaching. This is not like, I don't know what other word to use, sexy preaching of like, tickle my ears, tell me how great I am, tell me how great God thinks I, I am. This is called like, unfortunately, this is Bible. There are some desires you have that cannot be casted out. They have to be crucified. God, deliver me. God, deliver me. You know what he's going to say? Crucify it. Jesus was like, God, if there's any other way, any other way to, to save people, do it. You know what the father told Jesus? You're going to have to be crucified. And you will have your, you will have your moments in the garden of Gethsemane saying, if there's any other way for you to take away this desire, do it. You know what God's going to tell, tell, tell you? Crucify it. Because there will be a competition in what, see, you will have something that makes you happy and something that doesn't make God happy. <laughs> and if there is a con conflict, the more you let your flesh win, that's choosing being to being a lover of pleasure rather than a lover of God. Jesus said this to his disciples. And we can have... Um, Christian, come, come up. He says, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must do what? Saying that in our culture is like the biggest sin you can say. Deny yourself. Oh, what? But that's the call of Jesus. Because here's, here's the thing. What you, what you crucify, once it's had a death, then it can actually res resurrect. You can't have a resurrection without a, without a death. That's what the way of Jesus shows us. The more you let Jesus crucify things in you, ways of life, thought patterns, the more you crucify, the more that can be actually be resurrected in your life. As you crucify selfishness, do you know what rises up? Selflessness. The pain you're feeling in crucifying certain, certain things can always be redeemed and resurrected into something more beautiful. Galatians 5 says this. This is Paul. He said, look, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This doesn't mean, you know, it's, it's like, I struggle with this because all I feel like you might hear is following Jesus sucks. <laughs> it's just a death, which there's absolutely a death part to it. But at the same time, y'all, it's, it's like there are some things in your life that need to die so new life can resurrect. Because if we don't crucify it, it'll keep living. <laughs> right? This is the path of discipleship. Jesus could not defeat sin unless there was a crucifixion. And there are some things that cannot and will not resurrect in your life that Jesus wants to do in, in, in you, but there needs to be a crucifixion first. 
And this is what we do to protect ourselves from becoming a lover of pleasure, a lover of happiness. Is if we hit a point where something that makes us happy, it doesn't make God happy, we don't play with it or mix it with God, we crucify it. Because what we do in the United States is we have done this whole prosperity gospel thing where if it makes us happy but it, but it doesn't make God happy, we pretend like it makes God happy. And then we actually dilute the gospel. This is what can happen in a, in, in, in a cultural version of Christianity is we take what the culture seems as happy and we mix it with what Jesus says as happy and we have this deadly con- concoction of the gospel that is diluted with culture. So we have said, actually, Jesus wants to make you happy. That's his goal. What? It's taking life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness and mixing it with the message of Jesus. And y'all, look, if, if the source isn't switched from wanting to make us happy to making God happy, then we're still lovers of pleasure. Okay. My, my heart today in closing was to protect you to stay at the feet of Jesus, which is your purpose, which is better to protect you from the, from, from, from the temptation of pain and from the temptation of pleasure, keeping you from what your purpose is, which is to be at the feet of Jesus. So my prayer today is that if you have pain, you'd give it to Jesus. You would process it. If you're a lover of pleasure today, you would say, Jesus, what needs to be crucified in my life so you can raise to life, you can raise newness to life in me. Will you stand up with me, church? Is that helpful today? Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your word that guides us and leads us. Lord, we just ask today that as we're choosing in 2024, what is better? God, you would protect us from temptation. You'd protect us from the schemer. God, you'd give us wisdom to know if we have pain that we haven't processed, God, would we give it to you to redeem it? God, if we are lovers, if, if, if we do a diagnosis and we are a lover of pleasure, we give to the urgent instead of the deepest desire. God, would you reveal that in your grace? And Lord, would you, would you give us the heart and grace to seek to crucify that which seeks to kill me? And Lord, would we receive that with grace today? So, Lord, as as we process your word today, would you give us wisdom? Would you let your Holy Spirit bring revelation? Life House family, we're going to receive communion together to close out service. But before we do, I want us just to, Scripture tells us clearly that before we receive communion, we're to examine ourselves. This is a sacred time for us to, as we've heard God's word, apply it to our lives. So maybe today, you like maybe first off you've you've never made a decision to follow Jesus and maybe you've never decided to choose what is better and that's being with him and before we receive communion today your next step is to make a decision to follow him so with every about every every eye closed maybe you follow Jesus at one point but you know you've gotten off track and you know you need to make a decision today to follow him and be with him and just real quick with every about every eye closed if this is you I'm just going to count to three and when, when I count to three I'm just going to have you say yes. We, the way we do it at our church, we believe when you say yes, it's your confession of faith saying, Jesus, I want you to be Lord and Savior in my life. And so when I count to three, you want to follow Jesus today. Repent of your sin, turn and follow him. When I count to three, just say yes. Ready? One, two, three. Thank, thank you, Jesus. If you said yes today, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. There's nothing, you know, magical about this prayer. This is simply me taking your hand and putting it in Jesus' hand. 
because Jesus is the one that saves you. It's not a church, it's not a pastor. So I just want to invite all of us to join in with those that said yes today and pray this. Jesus, I make a decision to follow you today, to choose what is better, to be with you. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place and for my sin and rising to defeat Satan, sin, and death. So in response, I give you all of me. All of me. I will follow you for the rest of my life. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, we want to say welcome to the family of God. Like I said, it's not about a church, a, a pastor. This is about you and God. And we just want to say welcome. Can we just, you know, yeah, can we just right now welcome them, Lifehouse family. Many said yes today. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot Lifehouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about Lifehouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.